Oh, it's such an honour, Danny. Um, to be a part of this amazing podcast you're doing here, and it's just really cool to be talking about this book. You know my work, and you've given it a lot of thought, and um, I don't normally get such good questions, to be honest. <laughs> Your podcast is the one that I listen to when I want to listen to an interviewer who has actually read the books she's asking questions about <laughs> and asks really interesting, insightful questions about it, and I think that's really special. Thank you for your wonderful questions. It was a good chat. Great chat. You're a good interviewer. So enjoy listening to the podcast. That's brilliant what you do. Honestly, I'm so in awe and we need more word nerds like yourself, people that are passionate about books. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast. On this podcast, we chat about the magic of books and how they have the power to change the world. I'm your host, Danny V. On episode 201, Nicholas J. Johnson, a.k.a. Tricky Nick, chats about his children's book, Tricky Nick. Tricky Nick will tell you he's the world's greatest magician. In this absolutely not made up story of magical greatness, Tricky Nick chats about how magic changed his life and how it could change yours too. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast. Nicholas J. Johnson, author, magician, podcaster, is anything you can't do. I cannot uh, get to things on time. Uh, I cannot complete a cryptic crossword. Um, I cannot, there's a lot of things I can't do. It's best not to fill the time with all of them. Well, that's a relief. I'm glad, you know, there are things you can't do. And I like the things you chose too, can never be on time. That's a good mm. one. I like that. Mm. I can never not burn something when I'm in the kitchen. The other night I thought I was cooking this great dish and I didn't burn anything. And then I burnt the chopping board because I left it on the stove. So... Mm. Yes, I've got a lot of scorch marks on chopping boards and wooden spoons and melted utensils. Mm. And I just discovered that I've been baking because uh, it's obviously I'm in Victoria and lockdown. So I've been baking and I've just discovered I've been baking everything on the wrong setting. Uh, I had the oven and the grill on. So oh. I've been watching these food and I've been having to sit in front of the oven and watch it and go, OK, it's perfectly brown. Quick, put some foil on uh, so that it doesn't. And then my wife pointed out that that I was a few clicks off the correct setting for baking. Interesting. And yeah, I was humiliated. We've already learnt so much about you, Nicholas, and it's only been about <laughs> three minutes. <laughs> Today we're going to talk about many things. I've got many questions for you, but uh, we are going to focus on your new book, Tricky Nick. Yes. Oh, so exciting. It's just it's out now in bookstores. Uh, it's, it's It is that... I forget how exciting it is to have your ideas turn into a physical object. Absolutely. So and it's just such a fun read too. I gave it to uh, my eight-year-old and he just loves magic. And I said, you're going to really like this. And so he was glued to it um, for a few days there. So that's a good sign. Wonderful. Oh, that's great to hear. I, to be honest, I don't really care what adults think of the book. I've discovered adults are telling me, hey, I really liked it. And I'm like, oh, thanks. And then they tell me that their child liked it or an eight-year-old, you know, picked it up. And that just, that fills me with so much joy. It means that I, that I'm, that my idea of what kids might enjoy is hopefully closer, close to the mark. Well, that's great. I'm glad, I'm glad I brought the eight-year-old into it then. Uh, can you, <laughs> can you give us an elevator pitch for those who haven't picked it up yet? And yes, tell us what is, it's about. It is. It is the completely true uh, story of how I became the greatest magician in the world. So this is this is my life story uh, as a uh, as a children's book for for eight to twelve year olds. Uh, and as I learn magic in the book, uh, the the 
the reader gets to learn tricks as well. And and as the book continues, uh, questions about exactly how 100% true the story is are raised. <laughs> yes, well, I saw from the very beginning you, you sort of gave that hint when you said, you know, you had an elephant called Morris. So everything's true and I also have it live with my pet elephant. So you, you sort of set that up right from the start. Yeah, I try to... I tried really hard to make it so the kids would know that all of my uh, assurances that it was 100% true were, were maybe a little tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> and I gave it to my niece to read, who was 10, and she read it, and then she went to her, her, uh, to her mum and said, is that true? Did this all really happen? And she had to go, no, it's just your Uncle Nick being weird. <laughs> <laughs> now, I was going to ask how autobiographical this book is because I also read that you grew up in a circus. I need to know about this. Yes. So I, when I was about uh, six years old, my parents took me off to a nearby farm. Uh, I lived on the outskirts of Canberra and there was a, a, a circus that was based in a farm a couple of kilometers from our house. And they took me there one afternoon and said, here we go. You're going to do circus tricks now. <laughs> and so I spent a large chunk of my youth uh, doing doing circus tricks and traveling around performing as the the adorable clown who <laughs> had very few skills but could could wow a crowd with his cuteness. I love that. And you talk about parents being really boring on the outside but actually being quite interesting on the inside when you you know you take the time to get to know them. It doesn't sound like your parents are boring at all, Nicholas. Um, I well, this is this is the. The thing about my parents is that they do come across as as a bit boring. They're very they they're very serious. Uh, they're very uh, conservative, sort of socially conservative. They're both introverts. Mother was a librarian. Dad was a geologist, and and yet every, even today they still surprise me with the things that they've done and the ideas that they have. That's great. I, I like the idea too. You know, when you're at school, you think your teacher just doesn't have a life and lives in a cupboard and then you actually see them out with a family or a life and you think, wow, and it just blows your mind the first time you see it, right? Oh, it's traumatic. It's absolutely <laughs> traumatic to to see that they have, that they exist. Like you said, you, you think that at the moment you walk out of the room, they just, it's like the light in the refrigerator. They just they no longer exist and then you see them and they're real and they have feelings and opinions and it's horrible <laughs> now i need to know this must have led to you becoming magician so the circus the clown did that then lead naturally into becoming a magician no no magic was a thing that just purely by chance i was really into and i became obsessed with and i just made this decision that i was going to be a magician and anything that uh suggested that I was going to do something else or any suggestion that I couldn't be a magician was seen to me as like, no, this is, this is your fate and you have to do this. You have to become a magician. And there were points in, you know, when I was a teenager where I was like, I don't want to become a magician, but it was in the back of my head that, no, this is, this is what you're supposed to do with your life. And, and I stuck with it just <laughs> despite the fact that, that I didn't really enjoy it for a couple of years as a teenager. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love that. Now, you do in the book have lessons on how to do magic tricks, and every kid loves a magic trick. What is the secret you can reveal? I know magicians don't like to reveal all their secrets, but what is the secret of a good magic trick? I think that the secret to a good magic trick is creating a, a piece of theatre. Like it's not like a puzzle 
or it's not like a, a riddle or, or a scientific experiment. You're trying to create a little piece of theater with a beginning and a middle and an end. It's, it's a story and the surprise of the trick where the rabbit pops out of the hat or um, the magician suddenly disappears and reappears on the other side of the stage. That's like the twist in the end of the story. And just, just like with a story, if you can't make your audience care about the trick and care about the magician and the characters, that they're, they're not going to be amazed when the twist comes. Oh, I was amazed when the twist came. I really liked that. I thought that was great. Was that always in your head from the beginning of writing the book or did it occur to you as you were writing it? Now, is this the twist that kind of comes about halfway through or the twist that's right at the very end of the book? Well, I was talking about the one at the very end, but you're welcome to refer to them both, but we won't sort of give them away for readers, of course. Yeah. And so basically I wanted to have the twist at the very end, uh, and the only way I could do that was by having the twist that's in the middle of the book <laughs> um, for reasons that will be very obvious if you've read the book and will seem very cryptic if you haven't. <laughs> but I really wanted the book to, uh, to, to end at that point and, and with that line and, and hopefully surprise a few people uh, mm. who, don't, who don't see the ending coming. Um, um, but it was, you know, it's the, all my other, my other two books that I wrote, because I've written two books for adults as well, and they were written for me. They were like, this is the these are the books that I want to read, and these were this this was a book that I wanted my kids to read. You know, this is a book that I wanted them to read and to enjoy, and so part of the the twists and turns was kind of what would they like to see in a book. And I like that idea of you writing for kids. And I wanted to ask you because it's quite a funny story with so many wild ideas in it. And do you know? that this is going to be humorous to an eight-year-old or how do you know that this is going to be funny and going to grab them? Or don't you know? I don't think you do know what is going to be funny to an eight-year-old. But I think that what is – I don't think adults and children are that different, (laughs) really. And I think that what we find funny – if we let ourselves find things funny as adults – We'll find the same things funny as kids, and and uh, and I, if I can get my wife to laugh at a fart joke or a really something really dumb or silly or juvenile, that for me, I just I'm so happy that I've done that. And I think it's the same. so when I'm writing, I'm just like, what is, what do I actually want to, what jokes do I actually want to make, <laughs> what what little things do I really want to put out there in the world when I don't have to worry about what my cool hipster friends are going to think of me. And, and that's, that's really all I did. <laughs> and is there for you a difference between writing for kids and adults? Since you've done both, do you feel like there's a major difference? Because we just talked about, you know, how kids and adults, there's not a whole lot of difference because we all try and remember, you know, I think uh, most of us think upon some parts of our past. I know I think um, about the 80s. I'm so nostalgic about the 80s. So (laughs) anytime there's something, you know, in any book about the 80s, I'm there. Um, But how do you find the difference between writing for kids and adults? Or is there a difference for you? Uh, There isn't really a difference. I felt a lot freer writing for kids for for the reasons I just said, that I I didn't feel like I was trying. Because my first two books were about con artists and I felt a desire to try and be cool. And... um, and I made my main character a bit of a dag just so I could get away with a few moments of not being cool. <laughs> and when I was writing for writing this book, I was more than happy to put in silly stuff. I did find the editing process very, very different because I, with an adult book, you can take a few risks and you can, you know, you don't need to worry 
about double meanings and accidental double entendres and is this allowed or is this, you know, do, you don't have a, uh, the same responsibility that you have to to a uh, to a younger audience. Um, and I, so I've had all sorts of the, the editing process or all sorts of things that I had not considered as problems were, were flagged by my, by my editor. And we had these sort of long conversations about things that I didn't really think were a problem, but you know, you have to kind of really ask those difficult questions when you're writing for kids. I like that having a responsibility because you are, aren't you getting into the minds of young people and, I don't know why I've never thought about that before, but there is a kind of responsibility to a create joy and make them laugh, but also make, you know, draw that line where it needs to be drawn. Yeah, I, I guess so. I, I think though, at the same time, I, I'm not a big fan of books that um, pander to kids or try and wrap them up in cotton wool um, or books that try and teach these kind of very serious political or moral lessons that are, really what the adults want. Uh, do you know the kind of books? Uh, I don't want to name them. Yeah, <laughs> the no, kind of no. books that are very, you know, it's an adult has... Very didactic. A, didactic. Oh, that's a great word. I'm going to write that down so I can use that <laughs> later on. Yeah, the sort of very didactic books that are really written for adults to give to their children so they feel like they're good parents. And I, there's a lot, there's, I kind of wanted to avoid that in, in the writing process and in the editing process. And luckily we... Yeah, I got away with everything I wanted to. The the only thing I regret is one of the characters shouts out in the original, um, in the original manuscript. Well, uh, Nick, the main character, is surprised and he shouts out what just seems like random gibberish, but it's actually a German. It's actually a German swear word that means <laughs> bum violin. And I thought because it was bum violin, uh, was the translation that it was like saying bum violin, but my very, my incredible editor went and researched the swear word, Googled it and, you know, and searched and went through and spoke to German speakers and did the research and basically got them to rank it in terms of how offensive is this word. <laughs> and, uh, and unfortunately it had to go. And wow. So I yeah. And I was gutted. And so I changed it. She said, we have to change it to something else. So I, I changed it to the Norwegian word for spoil sport. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm interested because I'm thinking of English swear words in my head and kind of ranking them in my brain. What did what mm. number did this one come out as bum violin? Um, and the German speakers <laughs> I had sort of spoken to had said, no, it's like bum, bum or butt. And people say it and it's really fine. But, her, you know, yeah, it's arschgeage, arschgeage, which is, uh, yeah. It sounds really lovely, different. really. When you say it like that with that accent, it sounds like, I don't know, some kind of exotic meal. It does, yes. I'll have the arsh please. Yes. <laughs> with a side of rice or something. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yes. That's right, yes. Um, yeah. So it was, it's, yeah, it's that kind of thing you have these kind of, these bizarre conversations about. Uh, oh, that's great. But I really love what you were saying about just creating a book full of joy for kids because, you know, as an adult and sometimes, you know, we know how boring it is to be an adult sometimes mm. and why I always think why take the joy out of childhood when it is, it's fleeting. You know, every, every birthday my kids have, I'm like, oh, how are you, eight already or whatever the age <laughs> yes. they are. And so to keep that joy, you know, and I, I obviously love books and I love literature, but I don't care what my kids are reading as long as they're reading and they're having fun and they're finding joy in life. That's, that's what I want for them. Yeah, me too. That, that's the one thing 
that I want for my kids is that they are that they are happy and kind and everything else you know if they grow up to be professional magicians that's great uh, <laughs> but um, as long as they're happy and kind and at the moment my my eldest daughter B is is just you know she's she is obsessed with books and her 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 bed is covered with the treehouse and dog man and you know, all of those kind of um, yeah, all those. Sounds all very those much books. like the uh, reading that's going on here. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I just want to get back to the magic just for one more moment mm, of because course. I have yes. so many questions about magic. What's the most difficult magic trick that you've had to pull off or something crazy that happened when you were doing it? I'm just so intrigued by magic because I know nothing about it. The, the biggest challenge for me in terms of magic um, – was and and it, it was a, a show I was asked five years ago by RIOs, the Royal Institute of Australia, which is based out of South Australia. So it's a science organization. And they wanted me to come up with an eight minute magic trick that um, about the theme of road safety that also taught had a science component and that I was going to be performing it in front of 10,000 uh, high school students at the Adelaide Entertainment Center. And I had to be able to walk on and walk off with all of my props. And I had to come up with something to do in that. But it wow. ticked all of those boxes. Because uh, it had to be, you know, had to be educational, had to be scientific, had to be road safety. And so I came up with a card trick that was videoed. And it was basically me explaining how we get distracted when we're on the road and all the things that happen inside your brain when you see a magic trick and all the things you miss. And they're exactly the same things that happen when you're driving a car. And, you, you know, if you're on the phone, you're missing things that are happening right under your nose. And so mm. as I'm explaining all this to someone from the, you know, a young, a, young, a young student, I'm doing all these card tricks right under his nose and he's missing everything. And I was really proud of it because I feel like I ticked all of the boxes and, and they liked it as well and had me back a few more times. So that was like my biggest challenge as an addition. Yeah, well, well done for nailing that. You were telling me the criteria and I was thinking you have to be a magician just to think of the idea to fit in with that. Well, magicians are very good. The one thing that every good magician is, is good at is pretending to be an expert because <laughs> magicians are essentially, we pretend to be experts at uh, skills that don't exist. You know, like I'm an expert at making rabbits appear out of hats. And, and so it's relatively easy up to a point to pretend to be experts <laughs> at other things as well. <laughs> well, you do. You do say in your book that you just it's all about lies, isn't it? It's all about conning you. So... Yes, well, that's the that's the thing they would say about magicians is the way honest liars. <laughs> now, of course, we'll touch on it a little bit. It's a little bit of time travel going on, and this is beyond being a magician, I'm assuming. Now, is time travel something that's always intrigued you, and what is it about time travel that intrigues people? Ah, oh, I, I, I think a lot of people are attracted to the idea of time travel because we are constantly aware of the fact that we are hurtling through time, you know, 60 seconds per minute. <laughs> and we, we, we have, we can't go faster and we can't go slower. And just the ability to, to control that, that, that sensation, that feeling, I think is, is something that a lot of people are, uh, are attracted to. Yeah. That whole kind of going back and changing your mistakes and, and, and having a do over. But I feel like because I've absorbed so much time travel fiction that um, 
I felt like it had all been done before. You know, like there were sort of so many tropes and so many, I'd, I'd kind of have an idea and go, yeah, I'm going to do this. And, uh, and when you, and then you go and look up on TV tropes, which <laughs> for any writer, look up your genius idea on TV tropes and you will find like literally 30 other books, TV shows, movies that have done it before and done it better than you. It's like just... <laughs> It's a very humbling experience. So, so for me, it was like, oh, okay. Well, I think the time travel needs to be almost, uh, you know, if I want to talk about time travel in this book, I want it to be uh, take a backseat to, to, I guess, more important ideas about, you know, what uh, being able to um, control your destiny. I guess, for mm. want of a better word. Now, Nicholas, if you could go back or forward in time, what would you choose? If I could go back or forwards. Oh. I think I would do neither because, <laughs> and I know that sounds like a cop out, but I am one of those uh, super anxious butterfly effect people that just knows that no, no, because if I go back in time 10 minutes, the earth would have moved and I'll reappear in outer space and, you know, and suffocate. So, no, I'm not doing that. You know, like I just, I will stay right where I am in my very happy life here in Victoria. <laughs> yeah, no, you make a great point because I always think of when you go back and, you know, when you watch time travel, if you adjust anything, well, then it ruins everything ahead of you. So I'd be terrified to do anything in case yeah. you don't have your children or whatever, you know? Yeah, the grandfather paradox. Yeah, that's the, right. Yep. Um, or, or even just the idea of, you know, if you travel back you know medieval times like you, you know you sneeze on the wrong person or or you know you get bitten by a bug and get some weird disease or you know those kind of things or you go into the future and you don't know what's going to happen and, oh no I'm this is the same reason I don't like going on overseas holidays to be honest <laughs> <laughs> you know what I feel the same way like I do like to travel but whenever I travel I'm so filled with more anxiety than excitement and I get mm. there I'm like why do I do this to myself <laughs> Yeah. And the first thing I do when I arrive in a city, it's a new city is I just want to find the normal stuff in that city. Not, not the stuff that's like, I don't want to go to McDonald's and you know, like whatever the thing is, but just like what, what the normal people do here. Like I'll just, I want to go to the supermarket or like a, you know, just to a park or I just, you know, want to walk down a street that isn't for tourists and just go, okay, it's okay. This is just, it's a normal place. Normal people living normal lives uh, everything's going to be okay. And, you know, once I've, once I've been in the supermarket, I normally calm down a little bit. Yeah, I feel the same way because I always worry that I'm going to run out of snacks. Yes. Oh, yeah, you've got to. And, I mean, what's the point of going to another country if you don't get to, like, discover their snacks? Exactly. And I remember I went quite young to Paris and I – or was it Italy? Somewhere that they have the siesta must be Italy. And – there's no nothing open between, you know, whatever hour and whatever hour. Mm. And, like, you, they, it is impossible to get food between this period of time. That freaks me out. Yep. And I'm not a napper either. I can't, I can't have siesta. I have enough trouble getting to sleep at night, you know, <laughs> worrying about the, the grandfather paradox. <laughs> Le, yeah, let alone having a snooze in the mid-afternoon. Oh, yeah, you're no. not going to sleep tonight after this conversation. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know I know that I sound like I'm joking, but I genuinely, all that sort of stuff gets me, yeah, really worked up. And uh, I, to be honest, I think that's why I like writing and doing magic and all of these things is that it's like controlled chaos. <laughs> no, like it's all, 
you know, fun and adventure and excitement, but it's it's within the pages of a book or in the confines of a stage. No, look, I'm feeling your anxious vibe, but I'm there right with you. <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> I'm not doing well at creating the image of the sort of mysterious conjurer, am I? <laughs> That's what we do here on the Words Nerds podcast. We get all your secrets out of you, and then back my yeah, ears. you do. And then tomorrow What's... you regret it all. So yeah, that, that's how that's we roll here. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> now your characters were great. I mean, obviously Tricky Nick, great character. I loved the parents and you know what you peeled back about them. But you know, Beatrix, Trixie, great characters as well. How how do you develop your characters? I mean, I know these are based on you know quite real people, but how do you go beyond that and sort of fictionalize them? Oh, thank you for saying that because I'm I'm not very good characters character I, everyone always talks about if you want to be a good writer you just come up with the characters and the story will tell itself but i'm really a plot guy i'm like a you know and then this happened and because of that this happened sort of person and so I, it takes me it's making characters uh different and believable um and diverse uh, is, is something that's a real challenge for me uh, and i have to go back and that was really the one big piece of feedback I got when I first gave my manuscript to Pan Macmillan was to, they said it was great, but I need to go back and, and actually, you know, think more about the characters and the inner lives and what do they actually want. And that, that was just a, yeah, that was a real challenge for me. Hmm. Interesting. Now, why is it important to believe in the impossible? Do you think? Cause I like that. That's, that's kind of you know the, the core of your book, isn't it? Uh, do you know what? I, I don't think it's so much believing in the impossible, but it's the idea of uh, that there are things just out of reach of our understanding and our knowledge and that it's more, you know, it's more like believing in the possible. It's going, oh, you know what, there's, there are more things that are possible in the world than, 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 uh, than, you're, than we're aware of and that there are, there, there are things just beneath the surface and just around the corner and just out of reach and just out of our understanding and and it's kind of our job to to try and understand them or maybe just appreciate the wonder of them because mm. uh, one of the things I said I one thing I really didn't want in in the book is even though it's a book about magic was that I didn't want to have magic in it <laughs> I wanted to have <laughs> tricks because everything in the book is tricks mm-hmm. or science or it's all grounded in in the reality it might be a, a an unbelievable reality but it's not it's not uh, yeah. There's, there's nothing supernatural or paranormal about it. <laughs> and Nicholas, why do you write? I don't know. I <laughs> honestly do not know. Um, people often, you know, that kind of cliche of that, you know, a writer, you know, you need to write every day. And, and I, I can't write every day. I just sometimes I have to write and then I write and then I stop writing and then I read it and it's terrible. <laughs> and so I try again <laughs> and I just keep doing it. And it's, yeah, yeah, I honestly don't know why I do it. And, but it, it seems to be going um, okay at the moment. So I probably will just keep on doing it. That's fantastic. I love how writers sometimes have not really thought about this question. They just don't know. They're just compelled to do it. I like that. It's like a compulsion. Yeah. Someone, I, I had someone ask me about what my, what my goals were as a writer and it was like, I'd just get to the end of the page, to be honest. <laughs> like, I'd like to, yeah, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to learn how to use semicolons better. That's something, that's a, that's an, that's a goal of mine. But I think that's yeah. everyone's goal these days, isn't it? Yeah. 
I did a course because I, I grew up in Canberra and in the 80s and 90s and they just didn't teach grammar and punctuation at mm -hmm. school. We just didn't learn any of that. We yeah. didn't learn. It just wasn't taught. And so I did a short course at the Good Copy in Victoria, at Collingwood. It's like a day-long grammar course called Stop Grammar Time. And <laughs> just, it was so good. And they have like black coffee and donuts and you feel like Jack Kerouac, you know, bashing away at a keyboard. And it's, <laughs> but... Uh, and there's all kind of quotes by Joan Didion and Kurt Vonnegut, and it's really, yeah, it's really at the cold face of writing. But I just, oh, it was, so, it was amazing, and I learned so much. All of these, you know, these tricks. It, I mean, it felt like I was learning magic tricks. Felt the same feeling as when I open a book of magic, and I go, oh, I can do that with a deck of cards. And it was like, wait, I can do that with a comma. You know, it was the same kind of feeling. Well, I've never heard anyone make grammar sound so exciting, Nicholas. So you are definitely a magician. The way you made it sound so sexy. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Donuts. It really. Uh, Jack Kerouac, black coffee. Yeah, Come on. so good. Uh, I can't, yeah. It's just, it was really exciting. But I think it was because it was something that was really lacking from my education. Mm. And it was, do you know what it is? It's like, you know, people who become, uh, you know, like born again uh, Christians or, or the opposite, you know, people who suddenly become atheists later in life. And they, because just this whole world has opened up in front of them of ideas and beliefs that they didn't have before and they have to go out and sort of tell the world about it. I think I'm I'm a born again grammarian. Oh, I love that. I love that. That's maybe your next book, Tricky Nick, Tricky Grammarian. I don't know, but maybe it's yes. good. It's great. I'll need a really good editor. <laughs> Look, thank you so much for your time, Nicholas. I mean, Tricky Nick is such a fun-filled, joyous book, and it taught me a thing or two about magic tricks. And I'm sure that in my household, my eight-year-old's going to be trying all of them on me in the next couple of days. So I'll let you know how that goes. Ah, fantastic! Please do.